The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am lucky enough to be joined by my buddy, at Andy8052. You know him as the originator of Fractional.Art, one of the OG top shotters, of course, a member of Club Top Shot. Andy was on the show, I think, about six weeks ago, and we talked a lot about, you know, what was driving the price crashes then for Ethereum and Bitcoin. We actually had another little flash crash in the cryptocurrency economy earlier in the week. Uh, I always love to be joined by people like Andy, who are, of course, much smarter than myself, very well versed in the NFT and the cryptocurrency space. And I basically just asked Andy a lot of questions about the cryptocurrency and the NFT space. Uh, he's very intelligent, very well spoken, and I think that you guys will enjoy the episode. Of course, If you want to support the show, we are now proudly presented by Underdog Fantasy. Uh, If you want to get a free entry into a Pick'em contest on the show, all you have to do is click the link that's in the description of the show for Underdog Fantasy. You get a free wager in their Pick'em game and use the deposit promo GRID to let them know that you came from the show. Uh, You guys know I love Underdog Fantasy. Very happy to uh, have been joined up with them in this venture. And so I hope that you guys sign up and I hope that you guys enjoy the show. Let's get into it. All right, everyone. Welcoming back in Andy8052. You guys know him from Club Top Shot and from Fractional, from from the NFT streets. And uh, I originally wanted to have Andy on the show a couple weeks ago to talk about EIP 1559 and gas and just all of the crazy stuff with Ethereum. But, you know, as people know, with with crypto and with NFTs, like things just they change so fast. And it feels like I literally don't think I've heard anyone talk about 1559 in like two weeks. Yeah, I feel like everyone's moved on to, to, to new things. Uh, people move on very, very quickly in this space. 
Yeah, they do. And so, so for the very first time, I, I ventured out of the, the safety of, of Top Shot, which by the way, we can talk a little bit about Top Shot. I, I'm like incredibly impressed with the showcase challenges, like with the way they've altered collector score, uh, you know, cause I, you know, like many people, I kind of just tuned out as prices were crashing and there was like pack releases, but there wasn't much else. I just have been uh, incredibly impressed with everything. Like in a very short time, they've kind of really turned around the entire project. Oh yeah. I think that like, you know, it definitely hasn't gotten the amount of, uh, the amount of interest that a lot of other NFT stuff has, but I think they've done a really great job executing and just building out the site. And I, it feels to me like it's in a place now where whenever the next time people do get really excited about Top Shot happens, it's not going to all crash and burn. And like the site will actually function and they'll be ready to handle it. Um, they won't be as caught by surprise this time. Yeah, I mean, which is uh, that that is exactly true. They were caught by surprise. They were not ready for everyone to be so invested. And I guess something that is more interesting is like from an economic perspective, they just didn't really know what the market was like. They didn't know how to balance things, you know, too many moments, not enough packs. People want packs. They can't get them. The rent seeking. Right. And and all of this is is well trod territory, which as someone who is just now kind of figuring out like, you know, I bought my first NFT on OpenSea last week and like have been seeing the market impacts there it is the the self-contained market environment of top shot is so different than everything that goes on on open oh yeah big time and yeah i i think that it'll be really interesting to see too when when eventually you can withdraw your top shot moments from their from their site and like i know open has announced that they'll support flow at some point to to trade on there that'll be, it'll all be I think it's probably still a ways away, even though it's been one of those things where everyone's been asking for it for forever. Uh, but when it does come, it'll be super interesting to see what that does uh, and kind of how that affects the market and and those NFTs and everything. Yeah. So I, I saw a tweet yesterday that I thought very perfectly encapsulated the, the NFT economy right now. And it's very simple, which is just that people who are not aped in themselves, but at least recognize that the space is legitimate. And I, I'm sure you've heard this. Well, 99% of these projects are going to go to zero. And I, I guarantee I've said something like that on this show before. And this person pointed out, well, that's actually just like a very intellectually lazy way to approach the space because it recuses me from putting in the effort to figure out which project might actually have staying power or which project uh, is is a worthwhile mint is is a worthwhile hold is a worthwhile trade has you know a valuable community and uh, I guess the I guess the the question there would be you are you are doing these things every day like you're minting projects you're you're in the streets what what is your take on the idea like oh 99 of them go to zero and you know picking projects basically yeah I think that tweet was from Loomdart actually who I think that's like right. A- He's a big crypto Twitter guy. He's, he's a really nice dude. Um, yeah. I, I liked that tweet. I thought it was a very good point. Uh, yeah, you know, I, it's really hard to say. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And like, I'm actually not sure that I believe 99% of projects are going to go to zero anymore. I'm not sure that's like actually something that I subscribe True. to. Um, 
And essentially from the idea, so like with thinking particularly about like the profile picture NFT projects, I think that you have, you know, some that are relatively established and I would be really, really surprised if they went to zero. Uh, so punks and board apes kind of, in my opinion, for sure, have found themselves in an echelon by themselves. And then you have some of these other ones like the pudgy penguins and the cool cats and some of these other ones that are, you know, trading for more than one ETH a piece. And they have a couple thousand person community that have decided they like these for one reason or another, whether it's just for monetary gain or aesthetics or that community in particular is fun for them. Uh, and I, I just think that there's so many people in the world who want to buy an NFT. And like one of the things that's become very clear with NFTs is how valuable it is to feel like you're a part of a community online and be able to really signal with more than just your words, with your time and energy and money that you want to be a part of a community and that that is important to you. And like, there's just a lot of people in the world who are going to want to do this. I don't think it's only the people who are using NFTs right now who, who will feel this way. And so maybe less of these projects are going to fail than we think. And it doesn't mean that all of them are going to be worth the same amount as CryptoPunks, but like, you don't need that many people who all want to spend $20,000 on one of these in order to prop up like a large amount of these different profile picture projects and different things. Um, and so I'm not totally convinced that they'll all, you know, almost all of them will fail. I think a ton of them will, but I, I'm less bearish on those. If I think if you have creators and people early on who are excited about it and they really want to see it do well and they're really making an effort to build community and, and all of that. I think you have a non-zero chance of having some staying power and, and keeping people excited and wanting to be a part of it. And I think that's one of the key differences between a cryptocurrency ecosystem and like the NFT ecosystem is for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, you know, Solana, these things like this has to, to, to buy into the market cap for these things and for those market caps to sustain it can't be, you know, 10,000 people cannot prop up Ethereum, right? 10,000 people cannot prop up Bitcoin. It's like literally at this point, it has to be millions of people. Institutions have to be involved, right? Like huge, you know, nations are buying Bitcoin. Huge companies are buying Ethereum. Huge companies are buying Bitcoin. And that is like a much more sustained and systemic change than it is to say, there are 10,000 people on earth who all like these JPEGs of the pudgy penguins. And so I, I think that your assessment is correct. And I think that that's one of the things that I was definitely wrong about. It's like, oh yeah, pudgy penguins. Why would I want to pay that for a pudgy penguin? One of the ones for me uh, is, is these purrs, the, the, yeah. the, uh, the Pernelope's like I had Carlini on the show last week and he was telling me all these amazing things that they're doing like as a legitimate licensed business and there's like a vault and you can uh, exchange your per for uh, a segment of the vault and like all and like there's like a governance token that's associated with it and I, I feel like the kind of outsider but aware of it perspective is like oh yeah like I get it it's all about being digitally native it's all about being the the you know a part of the community but actually a lot of these projects have much more relevance that you get as being a holder like being a holder of these tokens has like real value 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like, think about it like this, all of these projects, they nearly instantly raise several million dollars of funding with a several thousand group of people who really want to see it do well. And like, if you just went to, if you said, Hey, the internet is being made and we have a bunch of companies that are all being created and they're being crowdfunded by a bunch of other random people on the internet who are just vehemently excited about them and want to be a part of it. And they now have capital that they can deploy and they can build things and do things. You'd be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I would like to invest in these companies. How do I do that? Uh, But when you say, oh, it's just people minting stupid profile pictures. They're so dumb throwing away their money. It's like a totally, it's just how you frame it and how you think about it. And yeah, some of the companies aren't going to work out and they're going to go under their, they didn't actually care. They just wanted to make a quick buck. Uh, but some of them do care. And now they have millions of dollars to spend to prove it and to build really cool shit. So it's like, yeah. a, it's hard to Well, it's sort around. of, so it's sort of like analogous to the ICO thing, which uh, some people listening to this probably bought Bitcoin for the first time eight months ago, or, or, you know, did their first NFT four months ago or whatever. And they, they're like ICO, like what, what, what does that even mean? And so like these ICOs for people who weren't around, like basically it was kind of the same idea of like raising funding via tokenization. It just worked in a different way. The coins were pre-mined. You were starting a cryptocurrency or at least an attempt at a cryptocurrency. And it wasn't represented uh, by like, you know, a, not a physical token, but like a, a display token, I guess, by a non-fungible token. And the, on the surface, most of these projects don't feel scammy like that to me. Like I, I never bought any of those token or those ICOs back then. I never, I just was, it didn't appeal to me. I knew people who made money, you know, I knew people who lost money too, but there, there is something to like, I don't know, I guess there really is just something to the community and being attached to it, like a project with like a real roadmap. Obviously some of these NFTs, like oh, we haven't updated the roadmap in three weeks and nothing's coming. And like what uh, the guys in the club NFT discord that Pete runs, were like talking about, oh, another music festival, right? Well, there's a mm-hmm. music festival associated with this token. And so like some of these things are just like, okay, well, I don't really care about access to a music festival with this token, but there are so many things that you can do in verifying ownership as part of, you know, a, it, it feels, it feels, um, like it feels very contrite to keep saying community, you know, but like it is a real thing. Yeah, no, totally. And I think like a big part of that too is just that like the emotional element of owning an NFT and what it means to collect NFTs and do all of that is just not really possible with a, just a cryptocurrency and just a normal fungible token. Um, and it it's just significantly harder to really get emotionally bought in. And when you, when you have that emotional side outside of just the monetary gain side, it's a really, it's a really, really powerful thing. And you can see that with people in video games and sports teams and everything. And like most things that do really well in the world have fans who care about it for more than just like the reason that it does well. And it's because of some emotional reason they can't totally explain, even like having an iPhone as opposed to an Android phone. It, everything in, in life is like that. And it's just way easier to unlock those emotions with an NFT than it is with, with a, a normal token. Yeah. Humans are built to categorize and put themselves 
into groups. I mean, we, we know this, I, the, 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 um, the analog that I was thinking about in my life is like, Oh, people change their profile pictures to like which DFS site they subscribe to like, Oh, I'm a daily Roto subscriber. I'm an established the run subscriber. And that's my avatar on Twitter. I'm in their discord. That's my avatar on DraftKings or on FanDuel. So people know like, Oh yeah, I, I side with these guys. And like you, you derive an identity from that. And, you know, obviously those are very, you know, those are very fungible. It costs no money. It's not, it's not blockchain at all. Like it's a different thing, but it is. Uh, and, and it's kind of one of those things where as we get more digitally native, you, you want to have those identifiers in a way that can be verified, which is, it's yeah. fascinating because like two weeks ago, I literally was not thinking about any of these things. I was just like, you know, ETH, ETH printer go burr or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I think that it makes total sense for most of these subscriptions, like with for ETR and all these places to be tokens and all of that. So you actually can show that you're a subscriber and, and you want to support them and all of that. I feel, it feels like the logical progression for most of that stuff is to, to move to NFTs. So one of the, one of the price action things, if we can, we're, we're just being very idealistic there, like uh, to, to go more into the nitty gritty of things that certainly many people, many people's interest in NFTs is, is price action driven, which is fine. Like I'm not, I, I don't, I, yeah. I mean, I certainly, the first one I bought is like, oh, uh, Bales is going to pump these goons. I'm in, I'm in on the goons. Um, is the, uh, the fact that on OpenSea right now, like if I was like, hey, dad, go buy, uh, go buy a zombie, whatever, go buy, go buy a legendary lion. Like he just would never be able to figure it out. Wouldn't know how to buy Ethereum, wouldn't know how to set up the MetaMask. And this was actually one of the things I think that worked in Top Shot's favor. And I wonder your thoughts on, is this something that a business should be figuring out right now, a way to basically have credit card to Ethereum transactions for NFTs? And what, what do you think that that like short-term and long-term, what do you think the fact that you know, these NFTs are not purchasable via credit card. Like, what do you think that does to the price? I don't know. I honestly, I don't think it really matters that much right now, just because they're like, right. It's, it's still so small Then there's aren't that many users. And so most of the people who are going to spend money in size are going to be fine to figure out how to use Ethereum if they're actually going to move the markets. Um, but like long-term for larger adoption and all of that, I think just giving people access to this stuff is really important. And then I think the question is like, what's going to come first, letting people buy with a credit card or educating people on what crypto is, on Ethereum. And why it's valuable to use Ethereum and to have a ledger and, and do all those different things. And so which one comes first? I don't really know. I think they kind of get to the same end game regardless. Like you saw it with a lot of the top shot guys or people who are using Nifty Gateway who started out using a credit card and then they downloaded MetaMask and they went on OpenSea and they learned because once you start doing it, it's really fun and you want to keep doing it and you're having a good time. Um, so I think that stuff definitely will help really more for onboarding than anything. Um, but I, I don't like I, <clears throat> I would be shocked if the majority of NFT volume was from credit card transactions in like five or 10 years. If that was something that we like, you know, that it became very easy to onboard and use a credit card. I would still be surprised if that was the case. Uh, I mean, I think because 
it's more likely people become Ethereum native than start using their credit cards to purchase these things, right? Yeah, now that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I think that you will see, like, there are certainly people that I have known, you know, online or whatever for a long time who I am shocked to see become Ethereum native. Like, I mean, this is, and I, I wonder your perspective on this, but like the, the gateway drug to cryptocurrency for basically its entire existence was Bitcoin. Like finding someone yeah. who purchased Ethereum first a year ago, you would have been like, no way. Like there's no way you bought Ethereum before you bought Bitcoin. Everyone bought Bitcoin first. And now I would, it's like 50, 50, probably like, oh yeah, I bought Ethereum. Cause my friend told me, uh, that I need to buy this NFT project or like, I just am really interested in Ethereum. I think Vitalik is interesting. I, I read about Ethereum on CNBC. You can do more with Ethereum, right? Compound and Aave and all those things we talked about last time you were on the show. And like, I still love Bitcoin. I, you're, I'm never going to be saying anything wrong about, you know, I'm never going to be saying anything mean about Bitcoin on, on the show, but like, you know, you're poking it with a stick saying like, come on, do something. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I like, I've at this point don't even like look at the prices of Ethereum and stuff anymore because I just am so focused on NFTs. And so I feel like I'm like even further down the rabbit hole and like, the actual U.S. dollar value is is less relevant to me, and is more just like how much Ethereum and NFTs can I acquire more than anything. Yeah, which is funny. Now, to me, I think a huge roadblock is there's no layer two solution for NFTs yet, and I would hope that someone, whether it be at OpenSea or whether it be elsewhere, is working on one because making transactions on the Ethereum blockchain right now is just a gigantic fucking hassle. I mean, gas is, it is out of control there. You are, if gas exists in this way for a extended period of time, like the idea of like mainstream adoption or, you know, making people Ethereum native using this for like more everyday type stuff. Like it's, it's completely absurd to pay $150 in gas or $300 in gas or $500 in gas for, uh, for a, a profile picture or whatever, it's completely unsustainable. Yeah, no, totally. And gas has been really bad lately as well. Um, I'm excited for some of these layer two scaling solutions to uh, to kind of grow up a little bit. Right now they are, um, they're like artificially limited in how many transactions they can send through at a time. So the fees are still actually like kind of high, but uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see what it looks like when those are uncapped and kind of anyone, you know, get, get a little bit crazy. But yeah, I, I think that I'd be shocked if we weren't transacting for the most part, if, if retail users were not on a layer two, that'd be, that'd be pretty surprising to me. Yeah. And like, obviously it's not a big deal if you're buying a, a 52 E you know, ape or whatever, like the gas is like, whatever, like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. But if you're trying to buy a 0.18 ETH wanderer, adding 20% onto that fee because of gas, because of the open C fee, because of the seller fee, like the fees, like really, really add up at a more minor transactional level. I mean, what, what would you be imagining some of the layer two solutions to be? Cause I mean, you, you know, more and are more aware on like a true, like developmental side. Yeah, so there's the there's essentially several different ways to kind of go about Ethereum scaling, uh, and this is like it's a thing people argue about all the time. And like, 
super sure. disinterested in this argument because it's really just boring about what is a layer two and what is a side chain, what is a competitor sure. to Ethereum, what isn't. And it's just like, it's, it's annoying. But essentially you have, uh, you have protocols that are built to help with Ethereum scaling that are, their security is um, like basically as secure as Ethereum is. And like, so they are, their security is baked into Ethereum. Uh, the, the two main ones there are Arbitrum and Optimism. Both are like live, but still, like I said, their, their throughput is limited. So it's still a little bit expensive. Like if you want to do a transaction or something, it's probably going to be about one-tenth the fees of Ethereum mainnet, which like at surface level sounds great. But if it costs you 200 bucks to do something on mainnet, it's still going to cost you 20 bucks. That's not cheap by any means. Um, so it's they're fine right now, but they're not great, but they are artificially limited. I don't know what their maximum throughput will be, how much it will cost. I'm not sure, uh, but it should be better than it is now. Uh, but they have a lot of security baked into them based on how they're how they're designed. Uh, the other version is you know more of a sidechain style layer two scaling, which is not dependent on Ethereum security and instead uses its own uh, different ways to secure the network. And the main example there is Polygon, which is you know probably the most popular of these. That's where uh, Own the Moment dropped their NFTs the other day. Um, it's almost free to transact there. It's really, really, really cheap. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, you know, if everyone went to Polygon, it would also have scaling issues. They can solve it in different ways because they're making different trade-offs as far as security and what, what's important for them. Um, but it would still have scaling issues. Uh, and then you have a couple other ones like Phantom is one that's been getting more popular. And then there's just like totally different chains like Solana and stuff that are not based on Ethereum at all um, that are really more competitors to Ethereum than they are scaling solutions, but they are other chains that potentially have faster transaction throughput with cheaper fees and stuff. So what are your thoughts? And I guess if you don't have any, that's fine too, on what EIP 1559 has done to the network, right? Burning the tokens uh, as a way to, and, and, you know, minor rewards have changed. And I mean, to be a hundred percent clear, I have like a loose understanding of what it did to the protocol, but no one would, you know, mistake me for uh, an Ethereum protocol expert. Yeah. Uh, I definitely am not an Ethereum protocol expert either. Um, but I mean, a lot of ETH is being burned. <laughs> that's that's for sure. That was the first ever deflationary day a few days ago, um, which was crazy. And maybe it was yesterday when the huge crash happened. Um, when Ethereum moves to proof of stake, it, there will be like one third the issuance there is now, which like at current burn rates of usage, uh, Ethereum would just be deflationary at that point. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see kind of what that does it in no way like made gas cheaper uh, obviously it hasn't gas is still crazy expensive um it also i think it like has is a bit worse for from a ui like user experience perspective it's kind of annoying i mean i think probably part of that is just because it's new and we're learning it and you know you were just so used to the previous versions um but i i sometimes get like a little bit confused as far as what what's happening or just like the MetaMask interactions aren't great uh, sure. when you're changing your gas and stuff. Um, but 
end of the day, I don't think it like really changes that much. I think long-term Ethereum, you know, moving to being deflationary is probably a good thing for, for Ethereum yeah. and the network. Uh, but I don't think it has really changed too much like day to day in what's happening other than sometimes it's fun to be like, wow, that today burned a lot of Ethereum. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that part is fun. Uh, and again, like, it's it's hard for me to say like oh has this had any impact on gas or, or things like that like maybe it has maybe it hasn't uh, I I would be all for anything right now uh, to reduce gas anything because it's just like you know I have coins that are being staked that I would like to take out like I like I have ETH that I would love to take out right now and move to a MetaMask so I could start doing like some minting or just you know I'd probably rather own some NFTs right now than be staking but it's like all right, remove uh, 0.6 ETH from being staked for 0.15 ETH. And I'm like, well, I just am not going to do that. Like, that's so miserable. Um, yeah. So the, the gas solution right now is, uh, is, is pretty big. But I also, I mean, do you have any thoughts on proof of stake? Because this is the big maxi Bitcoin maxi talking point is that proof of stake is not secure. It gives too much of a voice and a vote to the Ethereum pre-miners. Right. And again, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I know the answer to which one I, people say that proof of work is much more secure due to, you know, hash rate and things like that. But again, I'm not going to say that I know enough to know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not an, uh, a consensus expert by any means. Um, I personally like the idea that the people who are securing the network are the people who also own the, the tokens of the network. I think that there is a bit in Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these. It's always a little weird when people don't totally have the same incentive, like incentive alignment, where like, yeah, Bitcoin miners want Bitcoin to do well because they're making money mining Bitcoin, but like they don't have as much skin in the game as Bitcoin doing good as the people who own Bitcoin do. Uh, and I think that's a little weird sometimes. And so I, I, I'm, I'm excited about that personally. Um, I'm excited about the environmental impact as well. I think that like the environmental negative environmental impact is severely overblown and is like, there's a lot of issues with a lot of the conversation around it. But I do think that in general, if we can move to be more environmentally friendly, that is a net positive thing for the world. Uh, and so if we can do it in a way that <clears throat> doesn't like, doesn't screw everyone over, then that sounds good to me. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, it, it from my understanding of talking with people who are smarter about this than I am, yeah, uh, moving to proof of stake in and of itself will not make Ethereum's fees or anything like faster or cheaper, really. Um, but some future protocol developments that are planned on top of proof of stake should do that. Uh, that's my understanding of kind of how that works or how that will work. Um, but so, like the immediate change, I don't think we'll see much. Uh, in the way of like cheaper transactions or faster transactions or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff is like, you know, pretty, pretty obviously above my pay grade. I just find, I find Ethereum to be so fascinating right now. Cause I, it, in a way, what it feels like to me is that the Ethereum network and the Ethereum protocol is actually like kind of going through their version of what Top Shot went through in February, where way more people started using it for way like a bunch of different things all at once and the the developers and the miners and everyone the coders like they're all trying to play catch up 
for what it's being used for. Like, you know, we think of adoption as happening on a linear scale, but like in real life examples, things very rarely happen in that linear way. It tends, there tends to be like huge ebbs and flows and, you know, it's at a huge ebb right now, I guess. We're just yeah. like, I don't know, more people than anyone from Ethereum, like the Ethereum Foundation, they never would have imagined this happening. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's a really good way to uh, to kind of think about it um, in that things have kind of grown. And, and I think that it makes a lot of sense that they have, but I think naturally like completely global digitally native things are just going to kind of grow at levels you don't expect when, when things take off now, things go viral and all of a sudden everyone's talking about it and everyone's using it and everyone's doing it. And it just grows at levels that you can't keep up with. And then you figure out, you use all the money and resources that just got pumped into the system to make it better and be, be ready for next time. And that's like exactly what happened with top shot. And it, I think the same thing is happening with NFTs at large now, like with OpenSea. Like OpenSea has a ton of flaws, but now they have also a ton of money and their flaws were made very, very clear. People have been using them over the last few months, but now they have the money to hopefully fix all of those things. Uh, and I think, I think that's a good point that Ethereum is, you know, at the end of the day, it's tech just like everything else is, and it'll have right. those same bumps and, and challenges. Uh, it's just like a, at a much bigger scale. Yeah, like a, a gigantic scale, like uh, all, all over the world, all over the world scale. So I, I want to get into the weeds on fractional um, because it is, well, I mean, I'll, I'll let you go into, into depth on the mission statement, everything, but I find fractional investing to be this just like amazing, powerful thing. Because if, you know, if you think about historic like power structures and how the world has worked, like real estate and, you know, like true, like A plus, like can't lose investments have always been reserved for the uber wealthy. And that was kind of how things worked on, uh, like, I can't buy a crypto punk right now if I want to. Right. And so it's kind of uh, democratizing this idea. But I mean, I, I would love for it to just to, to get in the weeds on on fractional and how you decided to start it and how the how the launch has gone. Yeah, yeah, it. um it's been really great so far. It, uh, I'm very, very thankful. I've had pretty great reception from people around the launch and, and the platform and everything. Uh, obviously, a lot more work to do uh, to to finalize and, and continue to build out our, our front end and everything. But I totally agree. I, I think that unlocking the ability for people to collect and and communally own the things that are culturally important and significant is a really powerful thing. And it's something that like has become even more evident to me since Fractional has launched just that like people want to own things together and it's fun for them to do that. Um, like we've seen a way more of a social interaction on Fractional than we ex ever expected of people wanting to like be in discords together and like make memes and just post stupid stuff and like the value of that all being owners of the same thing. And that's been a really fun and exciting, like kind of part of this that I didn't really expect. Yeah. I mean, like if there, if there's a community for these 10,000 different, uh, you know, board ape avatars or anything, why would you like, of course there would be a community inside you literally all owning the same thing, right? Like we all own yeah. 
a fractional share of this CryptoPunk. We all own this fractional share of this board ape or, or whatever. Like, of course there would be a community there because we are all vested in the success of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that like, it's been very cool to see how, to, how like that community is very additive to the, the NFT and just like the, the organization uh, in a way. I, I've, I've enjoyed that. Like, especially there's been some really cool stuff with PartyBit. I don't know if you've followed that at all, uh-uh. which has been, so it's like a, a platform for people to come on. And uh, so say there's an NFT being auctioned off, it creates what they call a party bid for it, where people can pool together funds to participate in the auction together. And then once, if they win the auction, then it's fractionalized on fractional and everyone gets their appropriate percentage ownership of the NFT. And there's been really cool stuff that's happened with that of like uh, just different groups coming together to buy something that they think is culturally important to them. Or uh, there was a cool movement around a couple um, women uh, POC punks that people wanted to buy basically is like a statement around how all the floor crypto punks are all uh, are all darker skinned women punks and how that is kind of a bummer. And right. uh, it's been really cool to see like kind of those communities and they're like, you know, to them, it's the NFT now is worth way more than the actual like monetary value of that NFT to anyone else because of the the mission statement and like the reason everyone bought it and all of that. And so that that's been very cool. So, I mean, just from a very base level, how does fractional work? How is the NFT custodialized by you? How does the bidding work? Can you buy shares? Like, just like from, from someone who is like, oh yeah, fractional, like that idea. I'd love to own a fractional share of a punk or an ape or whatever. Like how, how, what is the process like? Yeah. So when you come to the platform and say you have a, a punk that you want to fractionalize, you're going to basically go through some steps on our website to fractionalize it. Uh, one of the, probably the coolest part is that it's completely non-custodial. Fractional has literally no control over anything that you do, uh, which is good, but also scary. Sometimes people can do stupid things, but uh, once it's, once it's fractionalized, basically we, the protocol creates a smart contract that mints a bunch of tokens and those tokens represent ownership of the NFT. From there, you can really do with them whenever you want. That's kind of where our protocol stops and your imagination can take over. And so the people who have airdropped tokens to different communities uh, or just like there was a, an auction recently from PleaserDAO for some of the Doge NFT. There are uh, people who just go and provide liquidity on like Uniswap or SushiSwap. And um, yeah, then from there, those, those fractional tokens are able to vote on what they want the reserve price to be for a buyout. And that's kind of how we go about reconstituting the NFT into its full piece. And so say the reserve price is 100 Ethereum, uh, some some whale with 100 Ethereum can show up and uh, put that money up and trigger a buyout. And from there, once the buyout is done, it's an auction. Once the auction ends, all of the people who fractionally owned the NFT can take out their fair share of the Ethereum that was used to, to buy out the NFT. And that's kind of like the full life cycle. So does every token cost the same amount of Ethereum? Or like, is there like a set token price? Like, okay, the token price for CryptoPunk 8052, whatever is, 
you know, that token price is 4.5 Ethereum, or is it like I can buy one, one and a half, uh, one and a half Ethereum worth of tokens? Like how does, how is that, or is it different? Is it variable? Yeah. Well, so, you know, fractional doesn't really decide how you have to sell the tokens. Um, if you wanted to do a fixed price sale for all of them, you could. Right now, the main thing we've seen is people providing liquidity on Uniswap and SushiSwap. And so for those, uh, it's not fixed price. It's an automated market maker. That is what's used for basically like all ERC-20 token trading on Ethereum. And so the fractions are just another version of that. Uh, so uh, it just automatically will update the price based on supply and demand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense. Like, so if someone they're listening to this, they're like, all right, I want to go, I want to go to fractional right now. And I want to, I want to log on and I want to, I want to bid what, what, uh, what ducks do they need to have in a row in order to do that? I guess you gotta have a MetaMask and you have to know what you want to, to bid on, I suppose. Like those are like the two things. Yeah. So I think one of the cool things about really being like a decentralized protocol is you really don't even need our website. If you're, if you're like an elegant user, like you can literally do everything you need to do without ever even going to our website, which is kind of cool uh, because it's all just smart contracts, but for the, but they probably don't need me to explain to them how to use these things. So for, for the less right. sophisticated user, uh, what you need is you need a MetaMask with some Ethereum in it. And then from there, you can go and explore what we call like our vaults page. That's where everything is fractionalized. We're calling it like every smart contract that is holding an NFT, a vault. Uh, then you can go to that page and see what the current valuation is of the, of the NFT. And really all that is, is we just take what the current trading price of a fraction sure. is and multiply it out by the total supply. And so that's like, you know, to a certain extent, the, the current valuation we just, we want to make sure we give people as much information as possible to make, make educated decisions on what they want to collect and what they want to buy. Um, and then from there, you can click in and buy as much or as little as you want. So our, we don't, like I said, we don't really have our own market or anything. We don't do that. We just use an API that plugs into Uniswap and SushiSwap. And so if there's liquidity in those, in those pools, we'll give you a, like spit out a price and then route the transaction through there which makes it relatively easy. Yeah. I mean, so to give people an idea, I literally just went into the vault. I clicked on a punk that is owned by you, punk uh, 916. I type in, I would like to pay one Ethereum and I will receive 7.22 band, which is there's a, this gal has a very Wonder Woman-esque little headband on. Uh, she's beautiful. And you receive, so you receive that, token. Uh, and then, you know, uh, and then I guess the price of that token in Ethereum would be based off of, uh, I guess what that's where that now that's where I'm lost. Like, so that the price of so that is just based on the current supply and demand for, for, for that token. token. Yeah. yeah. And so generally they have tracked relatively well to the floor prices of this, of said asset. So like if it's CryptoPunk, it relatively tracks with the floor of CryptoPunks. Um, if it's something from art blocks, it'll somewhat track with those. Uh, and it's relatively easy to go in and look and see. So you like when you went, when you clicked on that and you saw that you were going to buy one Ethereum worth, it tells you what the implied valuation is once the, once the buy goes through. And that's like, right. 
that that's kind of like saying it's essentially you know buying a you know some percentage of this punk at this valuation uh and so that's how you can kind of go in and see if you if it's a price that would make you excited to collect it or if it's too high or or whatever um yeah that that's so then the, the price like is just totally handled on a exterior market market driven factors yeah which is i mean that's fat i think i want to do this because i would just like it, it is my i um i'm fascinated by punks i think that uh now do i am i uh, am i csu ram where there's only 32 nfl teams but only nine uh zombie or uh yeah alien alien crypto punks like yeah i don't know if i don't know if i can match csu's bullishness but like <laughs> i i am at least as bullish on crypto punks as i am on like ethereum becoming like the native language of web 3.0 uh another question i had was how important do you think I mean, obviously, we assume fractional will be the uh, the 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 first mover and have all of those advantages. But fractionalized ownership of NFTs in general, how important do you feel that they will be to maintaining floor prices? Because one of the things you get into with stuff like CryptoPunks or Apes is there you you are lowering the subset of people on Earth who can afford them in general, and you really expand the subset of people who can afford. 0.5 ETH of CryptoPunk 916 or whatever. Like there are many more people on earth that can afford that. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's really one of the most exciting things is like just being able to unlock owning the really pivot, like important and meaningful NFTs. Cause you know, very quickly, most of society has been priced out of board apes and punks. And yeah. so uh, I think that it's really important to let those people like, there's something fun and exciting about collecting those things. And there's a reason that everyone wants to, wants to be an owner of those. And so being able to unlock that for everyone, I, I think is really important. And it's probably, you know, an, I think one of the easiest ways to onboard new users into, into collecting NFTs is like, as instead of sending your friends to go mint some new random profile picture project, when they say they want to get an NFTs, you say, Hey, just buy, you know, buy a hundred dollars worth of, this punk and now you are a, a fractional owner of it. I think it's like a, a, a much easier pitch than- And the, you could do it with all your stuff. buddies, like to, yeah, to yeah, extend exactly. the community meme even more. I could go into my group chat from all my buddies with college and I could be like, all right, let's all buy a hundred dollars worth of punk 916 and we would all be invested in it, right? Just so we would follow the price action and be like, oh, you know, we had 10 new people buy in today or people, you know, X, Y, or Z, like this is happening to the floor price or the, the, the price is going up like that, that extends the community meme, like even further, which is amazing. Yeah, totally. I, I think that that stuff is really, uh, it's still underrated just how, how cool that stuff will be. And like how, what that unlocks with web three and, and just a totally global world where you could be owning something that you're buying from someone who lives in China and the, the largest holder lives in Russia and you're all kind of in this together in a way is very fun. It's cool. Yeah. And I, I think that this is probably what uh, the most people, including myself were, were missing about NFTs is like, Oh, like you spent, you spent $5,000 on something called like a crypto dick, butt. like, that's the yeah. dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like you're, you're a fucking moron, but it it is just, this is, I think, a pretty natural reaction 
to how much our lives are online now. Like the idea of digital ownership just should not really seem absurd to anyone at this point. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. to like boomers or whatever, but like the concept of owning something in a digital space should like almost be second nature to us at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's only going to be more and more evident as the younger generation gets more and more online and has disposable income and wants to, you know, collect things and and own things. Uh, Like there's no way the kids who are playing Fortnite Fortnite right now and like buying skins and all of that are going to not be excited about what, what NFTs unlock for them. Yeah, that was uh that was like what made Top Shot click for me was, you know, I, I've spent all this money in my lifetime on Ultimate Team. And yeah. so like the the idea of like, oh, I just actually get to own this. Like I, it's not actually just like a custodial thing from EA Sports to me. And I own this and like, oh, you know, there's uh, I mean, I, the biggest buzzword in NFTs right now is like play to earn gaming, mm-hmm. which uh, I mean, maybe they're like Axie Infinity does it, but. I've yet to see like a, a really good, like obviously a huge wave would be like if in 2031 or whatever, there's like a, a play to earn functionality inside of FIFA where you're doing it on whatever block flow, blockchain, polygon, Ethereum, whatever. And you actually are earning tokens or you're earning uh, currency that can be used in the game or in real life or on other web 3.0 platforms. Like that's a whole frontier that you can squint and see existing that we are, you know, it just doesn't exist yet. Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm so excited to see how it all gets built out. Cause we're still so, so early in all of that. I think like the demand for NFTs, as we were talking about earlier, has just like totally outpaced the speed which people can build all the really cool shit that's going to be built because everyone can see it in their head. Like, Oh yeah, this makes total sense. I've played ultimate team. I've bought skins on league of legends. Like I totally get it. And now we just need that the time for the devs to build it all. Yeah, uh, and I actually, I actually saw someone say this. I again, I, I need to do better at crediting thing these things. But they're like, you know, everyone, everyone is talking about play to earn, but like, you know how hard it is to make a good video game. So like asking yeah. asking these NFT projects with like one full time dev to make like a really good fun video game to integrate with these, it's like an impossible thing to be asking of these people. Like I, I, that actually was something I want to talk about is just your thought on play to earn stuff in general. Oh yeah. I I mean, totally. It's, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, I'm probably more bearish on this than a lot. And I've missed out on a lot of money, not really being a part of Axie and some of these other things, because like I've been playing video games and playing video games competitively for a long time. And like it's really hard to make a good game. I have friends who work at Riot and worked at PUBG and Blizzard and Twitch, and it's really, really, really hard. Like these companies that give you give the the best game creators in the world, the best dev team in the world, and they maybe have like a fifty percent chance of making a hit game. And so, uh, I've generally avoided a lot of it, but it's it's hard to say that maybe play to earn and and just the ways that people are able to incentivize people with games just kind of creates a different paradigm in so much as like how good a game needs to be because kind of in the same way as profile picture stuff you're able to just create these people who are really bought into the success and are willing to play through the shitty gameplay and poor like mechanism design and are just like happy to wait until you do figure it out 
Right. So maybe maybe it's just different when you're doing blockchain games. Uh, but I've I've definitely been a bit of a, a boomer there and, and missed out on most of it. Well, I think there's also this capacity for these NFT projects to actually, in a weird way, capitalize on nostalgia, which I I I, I got to be honest, boomer alert. I didn't understand what was going on with the loot stuff at all. But that was yeah. the way I read it was that it was kind of like like a nineteen eighties. A computer like role playing game where it was like all text adventures, and I like that seems like a powerful element that some of these projects could could use. Like right, like people who like probably didn't even play those games but remembered hearing about the text file games when they were playing like Super Nintendo or whatever. Yeah, and that's actually like that's actually a way that the gaming could be fun or interesting. Like don't try to mimic something that you could play on the PlayStation Five or whatever. Try to try to like mimic something that you could play on uh, like the Apple one or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, it'll be, I'm really, really interested to see how the space evolves, especially with stuff like loot and some of the really more abstract stuff. I'm actually like, my opinion is that the actual game is like bearish for loot. The best thing for loot is people just like be lost in their imagination of what could possibly be. Um, but who knows? It, it'll be very interesting and exciting to see kind of where it goes, but. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's just uh, like, it's, it's overwhelming to think about everything that is going on. And like, what also blows my mind is like, there's like uh, this whole world that exists out there. That's just like, none of this matters to them at all. Like you walk down the street, like, it's so funny. I, I changed my profile picture to a goon and my girlfriend saw it and she was like, what, what the fuck is that? Like what it's so, what are you doing? And I was like, I literally can't even begin to explain this to you. Like I, I, there's not even a way for me to get you from point A to point Z. And like, that is just amazing. Um, All it like, really what's amazing is that all the price action happens despite this like mattering to, I don't know, 5% of the developed world or something. Maybe that's even high. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think it's probably even less than that. It's like, there's so few people who really know and follow and care about this stuff right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is absurd. Okay. The, the last thing that I wanted to, to ask you about is, and we don't, we don't got to sweat this yet. It's September, but January, February starts coming and people are going to have to start thinking about taxes, right? What am I, what, what is all, and I, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to come on and be a, a pro accountant or anything, but as someone with their hand uh, very deep in the pixels, like uh, I guess from a very whalish perspective, what are your thoughts on Ethereum regulation? How all of these trades are going to be taxed? Like, can you write off gas? Like, is a punk a depreciating asset? Or, you know, th- things like that. Yeah. So, I guess what I can say is as someone who has been paying taxes for my crypto for several years and has not been audited yet, I can can give you my my view as, as that goes. Um, One pay your taxes. It's not worth not doing it. Uh, Very good advice. Really, really good advice from Andy. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, You know, from what I know, you cannot write off your gas, which is stupid. Yeah, that I have not written off my my gas costs up until this point. Um, tax loss harvesting is really very real and a very good thing to do. It's a little harder to do with NFTs, but you could probably make it work unless you've literally lost all demand for the NFTs that you have. Um, you can. Uh, it's worth going through in November 
and figuring out a, an estimate of how much you're going to owe. So that way in December, you can make the right actions to potentially alleviate some of those losses. Um, for example, like I'm sitting on stuff that is a non-trivial loss where basically I will sell off as much as I need to when I need to, to be able to off, like make sure I'm appropriately offset X, Y, offsetting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then also just like generally trying to be aware of the, of the gains that you have and some, some rough idea of how much you could possibly owe. Um, and it's worth it to overshoot. <laughs> it's really worth it to overshoot. Uh, but yeah, it, it sucks. It's really, really challenging. It's, it's incredibly unpleasant. Uh, it takes up significantly too much time and yeah. it's, it's incredibly frustrating just like all around and it sucks, but it's just like worth it to do. Hopefully in the long run, that we find ourselves in a place where it's not the way that it is now. But my general approach has just been like, I'm lucky enough to be doing all of this stupid stuff for a job anyways. Like last sure. thing I need is to have some type of like tax trouble or something because I didn't do my due diligence there. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one wants yeah. that. Like being in, I I've, I've had that happen because I was a dumb kid and I didn't know any better. Uh, like I got it. Uh, I didn't report a 1099. I got, yeah. uh, I got a, a letter in the mail a year later, like, all right, you owe us $13,000. I mean, you know, and uh, there's that at that stage when it's a year later, there's like no, uh, there's no arguing with the IRS, but yeah. uh, that was a great discussion. And I, I really appreciated the time. Uh, people definitely love when you come on the show, uh, pump the, the club top shot and the, the fractional bags and we'll get you out of here. Yeah, for sure. One last thing I'll say about the tax stuff is there's some great sites to use to help figure out your taxes. There's like a coin tracker, there's a token tax, which is what I use personally. Uh, there's TaxBit. They're all very large, well-funded companies now that are super helpful for uh, for figuring out your taxes and, and doing everything like that. Um, some of them now you can even just kind of like throw a bunch of money at them and say, please figure out my taxes for me, which is always nice. Um, but yeah, then... Uh, yeah, we, so we do Club Top Shot every Tuesday. We uh, had Chris Conley on uh, yesterday, and that was fun. He's like the coolest dude ever. Uh, I don't know what upcoming guests we do have, but I'm excited as, as football season and basketball season soon after kind of come back into the swing of things. So it'll be fun to – I feel like we're in a bit of a lull with, with sports up until yeah. football starts, and so I'm excited. I'm, I'm not really a baseball guy, so I'm excited to get back into that and – start getting excited for sports. I'm really, really excited for this football season. Actually. Uh, I'm a Patriots fan. And so I'm excited oh. to, I'm excited for Mac Jones. I think it's gonna be fun. Uh, and yeah, and then fractional, I, if, if you're interested in NFTs and, and collecting and all of that, we have some really fun stuff. We have the original Doge NFT and a bunch of other weird things that you can come and collect and own with your friends. It's definitely worth coming and at least checking out what we're, what we have going on. And if you ever, like, if you do join and, check it out and it's confusing our discord is like super active with a lot of really helpful people who can put you in the right direction or explain something that you don't understand yeah all right everyone follow andy on twitter at and at andy 8052 listen to club top shot check out fractional i i actually think i'm gonna do this idea i think i'm gonna see if i can sell my friends on uh all buying some tokens of one of these punks and uh we'll be back next week everybody